Welcome to the Kettle Call Podcast. After recording a, a career call with Dr. Schaefer, we are back with him to, to record our research call uh, with him. So before we call Dr. Schaefer, let me go ahead and call Brooke. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. <laughs> great, great. Hello, Dr. Schaefer. Hello, Pedro. How are you? I'm just fine. Great, great. So today we are with Dr. Schaefer again. If you haven't listened to his career call, please go back to our episode that was posted last week and listen to his amazing career call. So today we are going to talk about some research topic that he has been interesting during his career. So Brooke, you have the lead now. <laughs> okay, so um, today we're going to talk a little bit about the effect of vitamin E on uh, meat color. So, Dr. Schaefer, could you just tell us a little bit of background about vitamin E and uh, meat color and how you kind of stepped into this? Sure, I'd be happy to. This was a highlight of my career. Uh, when I began my research career at the University of Wisconsin, I uh, began to do research with Holstein steers and methods for appropriately finishing Holstein steers. At one point, uh, the company known as Hoffman LaRoche, which is now known as DSM Nutrition, came to me because they wanted, uh, they inquired whether I could do a vitamin E project. Uh, they were concerned about liver abscesses in Holstein steers, and they thought that perhaps there was some linkage between rumen wall health and liver abscesses. Vitamin E had the reputation of being um, an important component of a healthy epithelium. So they, they were interested in the effect of vitamin E on the rumen epithelium. Uh, furthermore, they had, uh, through their literature review, determined that the vitamin E content of high-moisture shelled corn was relatively low, and diets that were high in high-moisture shelled corn would have a relatively low endogenous intake of alpha-tocopherol. So they came to me because I was feeding... Uh, Uh, High-moisture shelled corn uh, at about, I mean, the concentrate portion was 90% of the diet and 10% corn silage to finish Holstein steers. So I was uh, started down into that project, and we were going to slaughter Holstein steers at 1,000, 1,100, and 1,200 pounds. Uh, this is a project that was now taking place in uh, 1988, 1987-1988. Well, about that time, I was having communication with a man named Norval Dvorak, who was uh, a vice president in charge of uh, business development and market growth for Packerland Packing Company in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And he was telling me, uh, because for several years now, they'd been uh, harvesting high-energy-fed Holstein steers and then uh, trying to open new retail markets for that beef product. And he was saying to me, when we go into stores and we're putting our beef, our Packerland beef, out along, which was derived from Holstein steers, out alongside of beef cuts, steaks, that um, that the other native cattle packers were also setting out in their display cases. The color does not hold as well in the fresh beef color does not remain um, as durable in the Packerland steaks as it is in steaks from these other competitor companies. And so he was asking me, what could, what could cause that? So I put my thinking cap on. I really didn't have an answer for him in that phone call. But when I hung up the phone call, I just sort of thought to myself, like, how, 
let me think about this. Like, what could be going on? So I knew from my meat science background that um, the color change from oxymyoglobin to metmyoglobin is an oxidation of the iron molecule in myoglobin from ferrous to ferric. So, okay, there's an oxidation step. Well, if that's an oxidation step, I really ought to think about whether there's anything that could delay that oxidation. So let's, let me think, like, how could you do that? Let's see, what do I know about antioxidants? Oh, vitamin E is an antioxidant. It's a free radical scavenger. Hey, I'm doing a vitamin E project right now. <laughs> so I went to our meat science faculty, my meat science faculty colleagues, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about whether one could feed vitamin E and, uh, you know, whether it would be deposited in the muscle and whether it could function in delaying the oxidation of oxymyoglobin to metmyoglobin. And their answer was, I don't know, never heard of that idea. So I thought, well, it's probably a dumb idea. Like, well, then, then the meat science extension fact, remember Dennis Beagie came to me one day. I had asked him originally, but he came back to me and he said, are we going to get any steaks out of those Holstein steers? And I thought, well, okay, we're going to, I'm going to try that. I've never gotten, I've never gotten cuts out of a packing plant from cattle. That was not anything that was commonly done back in the eighties. But okay, I'll call Packerland. Oh yeah, we can we can get you ribs. Uh, how are we going to identify them from live animal to to the fabrication room? Well, we had to figure that out, and we did. And then uh, we came back with these steaks. Of course, we were harvesting cattle at a weight constant endpoint: thousand, eleven hundred pounds, twelve hundred pounds. So we would we would get these ribs back. We would age them for uh, fourteen days. Um, post-mortem. And then we would cut strip steaks out of those rib, out of those uh, strip loins, actually strip loins. And I had an undergraduate student whose name was Chris Scheller. And she wanted, she was a dishwasher in my lab. I said, uh, but she was very interested in, in beef cattle and beef quality. And I said, Chris, I want you to go over. Well, first we're going to cut these steaks. We're going to, we have to set up some lights here and we have to make retail conditions. And then we're going to put these steaks out in trays, you know, overwrap them in PVC film. We're going to put them out like it's a retail condition. And I want you to go over there every day. And I want you to, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, here are the animal numbers. And every day you write down the percent discoloration on those steaks. So, okay, she did it. I, I didn't disclose the treatments to her. And she came to me one day and she said, uh, something's going on over there with those pens of cattle. I said, really? I said, show me your data. So she showed me her data sheet, animal numbers and percent discoloration. And I pulled out, you know, my sheet of uh, animal numbers and pens and treatments. And I thought, Ooh, there's something here. So I, <laughs> at the end of that day, I went over to the meat lab and I looked at these, I had, you know, we had a steak or what, anyway, one or more steaks from each steer and they were all over this table. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is pretty obvious. I think there's something here. It was, I went home that night and I said to my family at supper, I said, uh, I think I made a discovery today. And their reaction was, pass the potatoes. 
so, so, so Chris and so I was like, whoa. So then we began to take pictures of these stakes and I was like, I gotta, I gotta capture this. And, and it, and it just built, it built, I, I called Hoffman LaRoche. I, originally I was supposed to measure papillae lengths, rumen papillae lengths. But as we took these steers through slaughter at Packerland, there were no liver abscesses. We looked at the rumen walls. We looked at both sides of the rumen. We looked at the epithelial side and we looked at the serosal side because I reasoned like if there's some penetration of the rumen wall, you would think that's going to cause some inflammation on the serosal side of the rumen. And when you're looking at the serosal side of the rumen, now you've got red against white. It ought to be so much easier to see than looking for ulcerated papillae that are clumped in the rumen. I mean, you can do both, but there were no liver abscesses. I mean, there were occasional liver abscesses, but it wasn't, there was no problem. I couldn't, I wasn't replicating the problem that Hoffman LaRoche was intending to investigate. But I called him and I said, I said, uh, I think there's a vitamin E effect on beef color shelf life. Well, I may not have used that fancy word at the time. And they said, what do you mean? Fewer dark cutters? I said, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the length of time that fresh beef holds its bright red desirable color. They said, huh? Like, never heard of that. So, wow. Um, then, then they had to come and see it. Uh, I took my wife in to see those, <laughs> those steaks. I took pictures and... Uh, Bingo, like, wow, I, I went to, I made, I did an abstract at animal science meetings, presented it at Laramie, Wyoming. And in the audience was Gary Smith from Colorado State. Mm-hmm. And Gary Smith would tell me later that he said to his wife after that talk, as they were leaving animal science meetings, he said, I went to listen to this talk. And there was this guy who was putting this little bitty amount of vitamin E into the finishing diet of cattle. And it was having this dramatic effect on color shelf life stability. He thought it was just so amazing. So as I developed the body of knowledge on this topic, and I have most of the publications, or I certainly at the time, I was the dominant force in refereed publications on this topic. But Gary Smith became my marketing arm. Gary Smith mm-hmm. is the one who had recognition in the beef industry. And he was, he was so proud to promote this piece of technology that had economic impact. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we did a study with Keith Belk, who's now, you know, a senior guy in meat science at Colorado State, but Keith was just a graduate student at the time. And we did a uh, marketing study to Japan where we sent, we had done in-store studies here in the U.S. in a, in a big project called the Strategic, uh, uh, the Strategic Alliance Field Study. And, and there was a, anyway, we, then we did it in a study that when this beef was uh, from control and vitamin E fed steers was shipped to Japan. And well, anyway, overall, we could see that the value to the retailer was about $30 a head and the cost of the vitamin E was about $3 a head. So there was, there was an economic benefit. Uh, there, were two, there, was, uh, there was a challenge with it, though, and that is that how can you assure oneself that the cattle were actually fed vitamin E? Well, we never could figure out a rapid test for vitamin E in muscle tissue. We had an HPLC method that worked great if you had enough time to do it, but to do something in the cooler that would confirm vitamin E content of tissue, we, we couldn't. We, we, we didn't solve that. 
So the only way the technology came to be used, implemented in the industry, is when there were vertically acting business relationships, where there was a relationship between the feedlot, the packing plant, and the retailer. In the early going, there was a chain of stores in Southern California called Ralph's. And Ralph's was uh, purchasing Holstein steers. Well, Holstein steers out of Southern California and Arizona were going through the Sunland plant in Tolleson, Arizona. Mm -hmm. And Ralph's then, under the leadership of a man by the name of Charlie Berg, was buying Holstein beef out of the Sunland plant. And he was marketing into it into Ralph's. And so he used it. And then Harris Ranch in Coalinga, California became a user of it. They, they actually became really the last and longest user of the technology. I'm not sure if they're still using it or not, but they were a cattle feeder, they were a packer, and they had retail outlets. And so um, that the structure of the industry, which is segmented, did not really fit the technology because it's the cattle feeder that bears the expense and it's the retailer who realizes the benefit. And in a segmented industry, it's difficult to get the segments to communicate in business relationships, mm -hmm. especially because one retailer said to us in a meeting, oh yeah, this sounds good, but don't offer me vitamin E supplemented beef from just one packing plant. I need to have at least two sources so that I have, can have competitive pricing. I will not get myself cornered by one packer. So there, the structure of the industry um, became um, antagonistic to the technology. But I was satisfied because I knew that the technology had value. There, there is no better way to introduce an antioxidant into beef than by doing it through the diet so that the antioxidant is correctly positioned at the cellular location where it is most effective, and that is in the cell membrane. And that's what feeding vitamin E does, as opposed to any sort of post-harvest surface application. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is a great, I mean, I, I think vitamin E is a fantastic molecule and, uh, it was a great discovery, and I got a lot of satisfaction from that. And I had some great postdocs who helped me work on that. Had some great contact with graduate students. Uh, traveled, published. Um, for a phase in my career, I had appropriate funding so that I could do one question after another. So, Doctor Schiff, so. I have a, a question before Brooke has. <laughs> so, uh, when you were doing those studies. Do you have an optimal time that you should supplement this vitamin E? For example, those hosting steers that they stay on feed here for over 300 days, uh, should they receive throughout the whole feeding period or a time frame that you, you did? Like? Correct. I have the answer for that question. So we did the dose titration trials with different dosages of vitamin E for different durations of time. And I can say that it takes about 100 days for the muscle alpha tocopherol concentration to come into equilibrium with the dietary concentration. So, uh, and well, that's one thing. So it takes about 100 days for equilibration to occur and an administration of 500 international units of supplemental vitamin E, typically given as alpha tocopherol acetate, 
which is one IU per milligram of alpha-tocopherol acetate, 500 IUs of supplemental vitamin E for the last 100 days will about double the color display life of fresh beef cuts. And, and the cuts, the muscles have different display lives. So the, the psoas major, the tenderloin has a very short color display life. So in this case, vitamin E supplementation might double the color display life from two days to four days. For the longissimus, it might double it from three and a half to seven days. Mm-hmm. The gluteus medius is somewhere in between there. Um, yeah. So, yep. And, and the technology, you know, we, we evaluated it in Holstein steers. We also evaluated it in, it in native crossbred beef steers. It's, it's the same for both. It's a cattle-wide principle. Okay. Do, do you have any question, Brooke? Yeah. So I just have um, one question as far as you mentioned, one of your challenges is just the way the industry is set up and how it's, you know, sectioned off. Um, so it makes it difficult to implement. Do you see a future for vitamin E um, in the cattle industry or just in terms of research? Um, I, uh, um, I, I see a future only where the segment's begin to act in a vertically coordinated manner. I would have to say that uh, in these early years now, in the 1990s, uh, the meat industry wasn't particularly concerned about doing pre-harvest improvements to cattle. But since that time, BQA has come on the scene, uh, Beef Quality Assurance Mm -hmm. and uh, and animal welfare. And so there now is a little more attentiveness by packers to pre-harvest management of cattle. Um, Vitamin E also may not, it may not be a sufficient technology to cause vertical coordination, but it can be a component and it can be uh, one of the beneficial technologies that gets inserted into a coordinated program. Um, So I don't know, Brooke, whether it will take hold again, but it's quite interesting now uh, in these times, you know, the beef on dairy topic is very popular. And if you listen to Dale Warner from Texas Tech, he will talk about the fact that they show that the color display life of the straight Holstein is less than the color display life of natives and less than the beef on dairy crossbreds. Um, Well, in fact, I mean, I didn't see it quite that way, but he has a larger data set than I had. So I'll accept that answer from him and I'll say, okay, well, I have the answer to that problem. It's simple. It's simply supplemental vitamin E in the finishing diet. It does not need to be a problem for any of those finished cattle categories, Holsteins, natives, or the crossbreds. Um, So we'll see, you know, that's my answer, Brooke. I have two other quick questions, Dr. Schiff. One is, are there any other methods of supplying this vitamin E instead of feeding? Uh, No, no, not to my knowledge. I I evaluated vitamin C because there's a a synergism between vitamin C and vitamin E and that Mm -hmm. ascorbic acid can regenerate oxidized vitamin E. But vitamin C is not retained. There is no, 
there is no conservation of ascorbic acid in ruminant metabolism. Um, it is uh, it is produced in sufficient quantities by the animal, but it is not really cons- conserved or stored. Um, so vitamin C doesn't help the situation. Um, we, we did a project with tannins, with high tannin sorghums. We expected the tannin to actually um, cause oxidation in beef. And what happened was just the opposite. Uh, there was some beneficial, ef- or as I recall, there was some beneficial effect of tannins. So the, the antioxidant story in muscle tissue is, is kind of complicated and not, not all that well understood. Um, another thing that I'll say is that we, uh, we surveyed cattle just in the routine slaughter up at Packerland, Holstein steers that were coming in from a variety of sources. And I presumed that, uh, you know, well, very few of these cattle were coming in with vitamin E, having had vitamin E supplementation. So I presumed that they would all, we were working on a, on a we were working on a pro, we were working on a rapid assay for antioxidant status of muscle. So anyway, we were we were introducing a challenge of oxidants into a minced meat solution of uh, a slice of the neck muscle exposed upon decapitation. And what we found is that the um, antioxidant capacity of these steers was widely variable. There were some cattle, and, and, we, and we also related this to alpha-tocopherol concentration in the muscle. And when, when we plotted the data, it was just a scattergram. Increased tocopherol did result in less oxidation of these muscle suspensions. But at low tocopherol, there was highly variable response to oxidation status. There could be some animals with low tocopherol that had very little oxidation and others that had very high oxidation. So there must be a variety of compounds in the diet of cattle that play a role in antioxidant status. We just don't know what they are. My last question is, you started your research question thinking about human health and ended up in a mid-science. So during that time, did you observe or do you think, are there any other benefits of supplementing vitamin E that's not only related to the meat uh, color stability? Yeah, there was uh, a faculty member at Washington State, uh, Boon Chu, who was was publishing some work uh, indicating that vitamin E was having beneficial effects on immune system. In, um, in cattle, especially uh, newly received calves in mm-hmm. a feedlot setting. And I think Bill Weiss at Ohio State was doing some work on vitamin E and mastitis. Um, so the, uh, I, f- I felt like the literature was more uh, certain that there was a beneficial effect of uh, supplemental vitamin E on um, somatic cell count uh, from the mammary gland and the relationship between E and health status in newly received cattle was less clear. Um, so I think my answer to your question is that E and the immune system is, um, is another candidate area. 
my background in immunology in bovine immunology is was not good enough to really understand that um, mm. to to be able to dissect that. Um, but there's a possibility there uh, in terms of uh, just growth and performance. Uh, no, there, there. Yeah, no, there's nothing there. Um, and um, but one of the things that I just wanted to mention is that uh, I think the interdisciplinarity of our thought process is very important. And what I mean by that is that because color, this color change, the oxidation of oxymyoglobin to metmyoglobin is a redox reaction. Typically in ruminant nutrition, we don't think in terms of redox reactions that much. We're a, we're a lot more about the energy side, ATP generation, um, appropriate carbohydrate sources. But my rumen microbiology background had tuned me up to redox reactions and thinking about oxidation or, well, especially reducing agents, which we add to the medium to cultivate rumen bacteria. So I had kind of this working knowledge of redox reactions, which, which made my thought process relative to myoglobin much more comfortable to me. So I don't think I could have had the vitamin E beef color idea without my appreciation for anaerobe, the culture of anaerobes. Oh, that, yeah. And, and, and maybe even your background in meat science helped you a little bit. <laughs> well, yes, I did have to learn something about color chemistry uh, uh, during my master's, but I also had an undergraduate course in that. So, yeah. Yeah, that it all had to come together, but it wasn't a very sophisticated idea when I finally settled into it because there was evidence of it in the literature before that. It mm -hmm. just hadn't been put together the way my experiment put it together. That's great. No, that's really, really good. Yeah, I think that we, we had a nice talk. Do you have any other questions, Brooke? No, I don't have any questions. I feel like I learned a lot, though. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, my pleasure. I love this topic. And, uh, you know, my challenge is to all those meat scientists who are working on antioxidants, uh, you know, good luck. You got a top alpha to cough for all. That's great. And, and, and I was very pleased that you mentioned the thing about uh, Dr. Uh, Warner uh, data yeah. showing. I also saw that uh, that data as well. He presented last year the animal science meetings yeah and and it's it it's it's good to know that we have a tool that if that in fact it is a challenge we can fix that uh and we have yes. that tool in our hands <laughs> yep sounds yep. good so thank you very much dr schaefer we we appreciate your being with us again uh it's been a pleasure to have you uh, here we learned a lot uh for those of you who are listening and if you guys have questions to Dr. Schaefer, anything related to vitamin E or his career, uh, we are going to leave his email in the description of this episode. Um, if you guys have questions, uh, anything to us, suggestions, please send an email to kettlecallucd at gmail.com. You can also uh, sign up for our newsletter. It's a free monthly newsletter. Just listen. Uh, you're going to get the transcript of these episodes. So... Yeah, feel free to, to send us email, send any feedback. We appreciate that. And remember, it's always a good time for a cattle call. The cattle are prowling, the coyotes are howling, we out where the dog is bold. Where spurs are a-jingling, a cowboy is singing.
lonesome cattle call. 